Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sexy Lifestyle Podcast. We are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sitting in for Carol and David. We are a sexual health education and guidance center where you learn to educate, enlighten, and evolve your intimacy. Are you ready to spice up your sex life? Well, you've come to the right place because that is what the sexy lifestyle is all about. We are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be by discussing everything about relationships, sexual health, sex, intimacy, and pleasure. We love discussing the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown with our top experts in the industry and hope that our conversations will open up your dialogue for great sex. Because great sex matters and we all deserve it. Hello to all of our listeners out there. This is Stephanie, and uh, you got me solo tonight, but I am so excited to be able to bring to you a very important guest. His name is Dr. Ari Tuckman. He's a psychologist. He's a certified sex therapist in private practice. He's out of Westchester, Pennsylvania, and he specializes in diagnosing and treating people with ADHD as well as sex therapy. He's appeared on CNN, National Public Radio, XM Radio. He's been quoted in the New York Times, USA Today, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, USAnews.com, and many, many, many other news outlets. I am so excited that we are going to have a discussion today about sex and ADHD. So does your partner or do you have ADHD and how does that affect your sex life? How does that affect your romantic relationships? That is everything we're going to dig into next with Dr. Ari. Let's take a moment to talk about the top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but no one wants to sleep in that wet spot. If you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need your own top waterproof blanket. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry, no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. You don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That is T-O-P Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. So, Dr. Ari Tuckman, thank you for joining us tonight to talk about such a wonderful topic, ADHD and sex. How are you? I'm good, and I'm super psyched to be here. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a great topic, um, and I think it's it's important to sort of note here that as much as there's the narrower topic of how does ADHD affect one person or a couple's sex life, there's really the broader topic here, which is that I've kind of got this saying, ADHD doesn't invent new problems, it just exacerbates the universal ones. So all the same stuff that every couple out there is dealing with is also being dealt with by folks where one partner has ADHD, it's just a bit more so. So even if you or your partner don't have ADHD, hopefully there's some good nuggets here for you as well. Well, and not only that, even if you or your partner doesn't have ADHD, I can guarantee you that somebody in your friend group does, and they're gonna oh, talk yeah. to you about sex. So. Yeah. I think there's just nuggets of knowledge in here for everybody. One of the 
the thing that caught my attention and the what made me reach out to you is number one, I kind of stalked. I, I'm obsessed with Justin Lamiller. He's kind of my favorite. Oh. And you did a He's show a with him. He's a guy to be obsessed with. Oh so God. you have good taste. Yes. Wonderful. Um, he doesn't know it yet. He's kind of my secret boyfriend. We're gonna, I'm going to tell him one day. He just doesn't know yet. But okay. I heard your podcast <laughs> with him and I, just that topic got me. And so then I started doing some research on you and I found your book, ADHD After Dark, Better Sex, Life, Better Relationship. And wow. So number one, me being ADHD, my husband... Fox, complete ADHD. We are just complete bat cases together. And we've often talked about how does our ADHD affect our sex life? And well, we can't really verbalize it. We can, but you know, people, we don't verbalize it poetically to other people. And so when I was reading through your book, I'm going to full disclosure, I haven't read it all yet, but I'm going to. When I was reading through it, it just, it spoke to me. So how did this topic, ADHD and sex come together for you? Yeah, there's sort of a bit of an evolution there. So, you know, I've been at this for about 20 years now. And initially when I was seeing folks with ADHD, including adults, which are kind of a bit of an underserved population, shall we say, um, a lot of what I focused on was kind of like practical matters of daily life. Like, how do you get shit done, right, yeah. um, basically? And that's definitely important, right? Like, that is a good topic. But over the sort of years and, you know, a decade or so, I kind of got to a point where I was like, you know, it's not just about getting stuff done. It's also about relationships. And, you know, maybe it's family relationships or if we're talking about kids and teens, certainly romantic partners. So then I got interested in that and the couples piece of it. Then I got interested in, in well, but what about the sexuality piece? Because that's a thing that nobody is talking about and by nobody what i mean is the people who write and present about adhd the couples are all talking about it right but none of the people standing at the front of the room so to speak are talking about it and i just sort of had this thought i was like this is kind of an important part of relationships right and as clinicians we're missing this really important lever to pull to help these couples do better Right, because it's easier to deal with a frustrating nonsense of life, the just aggravating logistical headaches. If you're feeling good, connected together, if you're having fun together, if you're doing awesome, dirty, sexy things together, right? It's a lot easier to deal with the stupid things like, ugh, someone left the milk out overnight. Mm -hmm. Now we don't have milk, you know? Um, but if you're already kind of a little disconnected, if you're already tweaked at each other, the little things, they all start to add up and it just goes from bad to worse. So the very first chapter of your book caught my attention and it's sex or good sex is extra important for couples with ADHD. Okay, I agree, but tell me more. So, yeah, I mean, I think that especially the couples who are going to struggle more on day to day stuff for whatever reasons, right, it might be ADHD. Maybe, I don't know, you're locked in a house together for a year. Maybe you've got a sick parent. Maybe right. you've got a kid with a lot of needs, right? Just whatever the stress is of life. The more stresses we have that pull us apart, the more good things we need to pull us back together. So, you know, I think there's plenty of couples out there that can kind of be okay without the benefit of a good sex life. Right? They're not killing it. But they're fine, whatever, right? But like, if you're already sliding a bit, if you're already kind of losing some points, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you need the extra credit. It's kind of like Barry McCarthy said, a good sex life adds about 20% to the happiness of a relationship. So like, you Barry. can pass with the, yeah, right? You can pass with the B minus, mm -hmm. right? But like, 
the problem is if you're not having that good sexual connection, you're already at an 80, right? Before the day has even begun, you're already at an 80. So you don't got a lot of room to go after that. So, you know, if we can get those 20 extra bonus points, let's do it. Mm. Barry McCarthy is a profound genius in our, in our, our genre, our, not our generation, our genre, generation, whatever I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. And I just, I, I, I agree with you. He's just a plethora of information. And that 20% is so important, but most people really don't think about sex in that way. They don't see it as a connection tool. They see it as something to do as an act. And yeah, that's frustrating for clinicians, especially sex therapists. Mm-hmm. So, well, and the thing is, sex is both, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it is just an act, whether there's another person involved or not, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you're just feeling horny, you want to get one off. Sometimes you're stressed out, you want to relax. Sometimes you're bored. Sometimes you can't sleep, right? So sometimes it is just sort of, you know, utilitarian. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you're within a committed relationship. Um, or it's sort of a committed relationship, whatever, right? Like that can be a part of what you share with each other. It's a part of what brings you together. It's a good time that you have. But, you know, there's also a part of it that, um, you know, just because of the way we look at sex in our culture, there's a lot of vulnerability and intimacy involved mm-hmm. in being actually honest about you know, what kind of sex you want to have, what do you want to do, what really turns you on, including the stuff you're not so sure your your partner is going to be Mm -hmm. into, right? So like that ability to keep your head on and be honest and open so your sex life remains interesting and vibrant, but also being able to tolerate your partner, maybe being a little weird about it, you know, like not freaking out, not taking it back, not denying it, not yelling at them, right? Mm -hmm. Like that ability to sort of be present in the moment and be okay, even if your partner is having a bit of a hard time at that moment. I know that you did some research. Can you, mm-hmm. for the listeners, so what kind of research did you do in order to come up with the statistics for this? Yeah, so, you know, when I decided to write the book, um, I wanted it to be based on more than just, here are some things that I can tell you based on the people who come to my office. Um, so there's very little research out there on ADHD and sexuality. Um, I mean, there is some research out there on things like unplanned pregnancies, but that's not exactly about sex. That's about the outcomes of sex. Mm-hmm. So, or the lack of planning for sex. But so what I did was I put together a survey um, with far too many questions. So don't let me design your surveys when I'm saying, um, but despite the fact that I was insane and over exuberant about all my questions, I got like 3000 people to answer it. And it's even, it's like 4,000 at this point or even more. So, um, so I think what it speaks to is the fact that people are really interested in the topic Mm -hmm. and it was for couples with one partner who has ADHD and one partner who doesn't. Um, and I sort of narrowed it to that just because, you know, there's nothing out there. So you start with the biggest group and you work down. Um, and you know, I asked them all sorts of questions. I asked them about how they're managing ADHD. I asked them about um, their relationship in general. I asked about their sex life in particular. Um, I asked about things like, you know, porn use and masturbation and, you know, kinkiness and, you know, consensual non-monogamy and all sorts of other things. Um, And then I looked, I compared not just ADHD versus non-ADHD, but I broke it out by gender as well. 
because, you know, often the gender differences were bigger than the ADHD, non-ADHD differences. So, but, you know, with way too many questions and 3,000 respondents, you get a lot of data to analyze Uh um, and a whole lot more confidence that it's not like you just asked a couple of your friends, right? A lot more confidence that what I found is probably actually representative of something true. So you, you said you broke it down for gender. Were you able to break it down for sexuality? I did not. So I, in the survey, I did make it open to people who are in same-sex relationships. Um, and I did get some data on that. I just didn't get enough of that. Okay. Um, so the people who answered were in, were, were the, the folks whose data I analyzed were people in heterosexual relationships. That means that at this moment, they're with a person who is of the other gender from them. And I didn't include, you know, trans or any of the other kind of Mm -hmm. non-binary because I just, I wasn't cool enough at that point five years ago to add that stuff in. But, um, but, you know, so the fact that somebody is with a partner of the other gender doesn't mean that they're straight, right? Exactly. They could be bi, they could be in the closet, like totally gay, but in the closet, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't know specifically. So, you know, you're always sort of generalizing a little bit with these things, but, um, you know, so I think that there's some some research to be done on other configurations of relationships. Absolutely. And I will not be doing that research for my dissertation. So um, anybody out <laughs> yeah. there in my program, here's a key person to talk to if, you, if that interests you, because I will not be doing it. But right. in your research, you said that there's four kinds of people and two kinds of couples. What sure. what did you mean by that specifically? So. You know, within the the way that I kind of categorize people, so to speak, is that there are men with ADHD, men without, mm-hmm. women with ADHD, women without. So those are the four kinds of people, so to speak. Um, and then the two kinds of couples, if you've got a mixed couple, is a man with ADHD, a woman without, woman with ADHD, a man without. Um, and there were definitely, I mean, as much as, yes, there were similarities, there were also differences, you know, particularly Mm -hmm. between the two couples. So in other words, in a heterosexual couple, it does matter which partner has ADHD in terms of how that plays out in the relationship, how that plays out in the sex life. Okay. You've piqued my interest. We all know I have ADHD (laughs) and I happen to be a vulva owner. I identify as a woman. So let's just dive right in. Were there any surprising facts that you found for women? Yeah. So so this was one of those things that I did not predict it beforehand, but I also didn't fall out of my chair when I saw it, right? So maybe that's good because it means that I probably were on the right track. If something totally shocks you, you you have to wonder like, hmm, wait a second, did Mm -hmm. I screw this up somehow? What am I missing? Right? So One of the things that came out that I thought was really interesting was that um, folks with ADHD compared to non, and again, women versus women, men versus men, um, rated themselves higher on 10 out of 12 questions that had anything to do with what I call sexual eagerness. Um, And then they tied on the other two. So sexual eagerness, meaning things like desired frequency of sexual activity, frequency of masturbation, um, how they look at how often they look at porn, how do they feel about their own porn use, their partner's porn use, how quick are they to become aroused, um, how kinky are they, how interested are they in consensual non-monogamy, 
to what extent do they have a history of consensual non-monogamy? So like 12 questions, the folks at ADHD rated themselves hired 10 out of 12 and tied on the other two. So what it means then is that when you have a man with ADHD who has a, you know, generally a stronger sex drive, just broadly speaking, with a woman without ADHD who out of these four types of people has the lowest desired sex drive, that big difference, that that can be a, a pretty big bridge to cross. And it can cause its own strains and struggles in the relationship. On the other hand, when the woman has ADHD, she has a relatively higher sex drive and is closer to the man's sex drive, the non-ADHD man's sex drive. Mm -hmm. So they actually have sex 25% more often than the couples where the guy has ADHD. So in other words, women with ADHD tend to be more sexually interested than women without ADHD. So that's a bonus. That is a bonus. <laughs> Anybody who knows me know that that's not um, shocking at all. I'm right. one of those sexual beings. Yeah, so you're not an outlier in my data set, in other words. No, so, no, I mean, you just nailed me. Yeah, yeah. So, and it kind of makes sense, actually, when you think about ADHD, that um, folks with ADHD are very, or more so than folks without, are more influenced by things that are interesting rather than things that are boring, right? Things that are important are usually boring. So important is things like, I should eat more kale, or... I should really review my life insurance policy and really crunch the numbers to see that we're getting the best rate, right? Definitely important, not at all interesting, right? As opposed to, ooh, new season two of whatever the hell we're watching just dropped on Netflix. Let's watch all of it, right? Interesting, not important, but interesting. So sex is pretty interesting. It's also important, right? Mm -hmm. But, but it's, definitely interesting and it's always going to be more interesting than every other thing you need to do in your life so um so it makes sense that women with adhd and men with adhd feel that sexual interest more they're more influenced by it and they're more willing to put other things aside in order to do that more interesting thing all right so this is all great information if we could just hang on for one sec we need to do a quick shout out to one of our show sponsors and then we'll be right back this is the sexy lifestyle and we are stephanie and fox with evolve your intimacy we're talking with author and psychologist dr ari tuckman stay right there so are you interested in vaginal rejuvenation and sexual health it's a topic that we want to talk about more because how we look and how we feel make a huge difference in the way we live sexy the company Lumisk has developed an easy treatment system for vaginal rejuvenation. It's a product that you can use on yourself and at home. It's a carboxy gel called CO2 Lift V. You simply mix together two packets of gel and apply it to your vulva and inside your vagina before bedtime and then rinse it out in the morning. The gel infuses CO2 into the skin to encourage blood flow it promotes healing and cell regeneration, and the great thing is that there's no discomfort or downtime. This CO2 Lift V treatment keeps your vaginal tissue healthy and happy. It increases lubrication and sensation and makes sex more fun at any age. After you finish the initial course of weekly treatments, you can easily maintain your results with applications once a month. Also, it's a sure way to snap back after a long night of great sex. For more information, visit CO2Lift.com, buy yours today, and get a 15% discount if you use promo code SEXYLIFE at checkout. 
That's S-E-X-Y-L-I-F-E. Grade six starts now. Let's just talk about Topless Travel for a minute and the amazing trip that we have planned for next year. Absolutely. And of course, you know, Topless Travel is the best. We know they're the best. We travel with them all the time. And if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you need you simply must book with Topless Travel from Hedonism 2 in Jamaica to Desire in Cancun and all the Bliss Cruise experiences. Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. Their trips and events are all about the people and their sexy fun experiences. And let's shout out to all the sexy host couples, including Chelsea and Mark, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, you're going to find us on many of their amazing Topless Travel trips. But listen up, listen up. The one that we're really looking forward to is their sexy silver full takeover at Desire Pearl in 2022. It's going to be from October 16th to the 23rd. And of course, we're going to be broadcasting live. Rooms are absolutely selling out quickly. So book now. And you know what? Just come, come on down, join us for a week. And we'd love to meet you there. And for more information about this trip or any other Topless Travel event, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the Topless Travel Events link to book your sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And remember, if you're looking for an online open-minded community to meet compatible people in your area, you should go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. So check it out. Hey guys, this is The Sexy Lifestyle and this is Stephanie from Evolve Your Intimacy sitting in for Carol and David today. Now, let's get back to our show with author and psychologist Dr. Ari Tuckman. I have a theory and I've had this theory and this was going to be my research topic until I decided that I just it was too big for me to tackle is until you decided you wanted to finish your dissertation. Yeah, right. Until I wanted to finish within my timeline. Um, right. Is that my husband and I have always said that people with ADHD are more likely to be in consensual non-monogamous relationships. We're in an open relationship. We're very mm-hmm. open about all of that. And all of our friend group, we just sit back and we're like, damn, that's ADHD. Well, that's ADHD. And so then we started saying, so is that is that a thing? And I'm asking you because you've researched it. Are people who tend to be in consensual non-monogamy relationships ADHD? Yes. Yeah. So, so... It is indeed true. I have the data to back this statement up that folks with ADHD compared to folks without were more interested. So I asked the question, to what extent are you interested in consensual non-monogamy if your partner was interested? Right. So that's going to capture the people who haven't yet done it, but mm-hmm. might want to. Right. Folks with ADHD endorse that question more than folks without. Um, I also asked the question, um, you know, sort of the, the question of like, have you ever, or or there was an answer in there of like, not only am I interested, but actually I have history of, you know, mm-hmm. in this or another relationship, I've engaged in consensually non-monogamous activities. And the folks of the ADHD endorsed that more as well. So it's not simply a thing I would like, it's also a thing I have done kind of a thing. So yes, indeed. And I think, it, and again, it kind of makes sense if you know ADHD, because, you know, Consensual non-monogamy certainly provides more variety and novelty, and mm-hmm. that is definitely a thing that folks with ADHD are attracted to. Definitely the adrenaline, the new relationship energy. Ah, mm-hmm. man, that new relationship, or the new relationship energy, I promise I can talk, it almost captivates those of us with ADHD because it's so fresh, and it's just, yeah, at times, 
can be detrimental if it's not controlled. And so yeah. what are your thoughts on the new relationship energy and those with ADHD and maybe even some tips on how we can control that, that over eagerness? Yeah, it, it's definitely, I mean, it's a risky temptation, right? Like it, it's kind of like many things. It, it's, it's good if handled well and it's bad if handled poorly, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it, it can definitely be exciting and it's easy to see why someone might really be kind of drawn to it. It's kind of, it's a, it's a drug that's hard to beat kind of a thing. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, you can act like a real asshole about it and you can make stupid, stupid, short-sighted decisions in the moment if you don't handle it well. Right. So, um, so the, the danger is that, that you do something, you get carried away and you sort of cross the agreements that you had with your partner about what are we doing here? Um, or you just act like a jerk to your partner because let's face it, they're old news. They can't really compete with this shiny new person. Mm -hmm. um, so their primary relationship begins to suffer. Um, you know, or it's just you're always kind of onto the next, onto the next, onto the next, and then you're not building anything. So I think the hope would be that you take that new relationship energy from your secondary or tertiary relationship, you bring some of it back at least into your primary, right? So then it becomes a source of energy in, not a source of energy out. You mentioned that there's a tendency for people to cross boundaries in the moment. They get so caught up mm -hmm. in the moment that they cross the boundaries. What are some things that you can say to the listeners that Maybe if that's happened to them, how can they work through it with their partner without just being completely irrational and the pain and all of the hurt? Like, what are some sure. of the things that they can do? Yeah, I mean, I think, so first of all, let's talk about how to maybe not get there in the first place, right? No. So, um, you know, when it comes to managing temptation, you know, or impulsivity more specifically, but temptation generally, the farther away you are from a temptation, the easier it is to manage it. So in other words, the example I always use is if you don't want to eat Doritos, the place to leave the Doritos is in the store, not in your pantry. Because mm -hmm. in the pantry takes way more energy to not eat them. So, you know, if there are certain situations that are just too tempting, and this is where you need to really be honest with yourself of like this person or this kind of person or this kind of situation it is just really hard for me to not sort of leap without looking. Um, you know, it's, it's like the alcoholic, right? Don't go to the bar mm -hmm. if you're bad at not having a drink, right? If you're not ready yet to not have a drink, do not go to a bar. So it's that, re it's that thing of really, really being honest with yourself and not talking yourself into somehow I won't do the thing that, let's face it, we all know I'm going to do. Mm. Um, you know, so that's that's the first part is to not be tempted in the first place. But I think, you know, the other part is if you do kind of leap without looking, if you cross a line and then afterwards you're like, oh, shit, that was a bad thing. Um, better for the words to come from you to your partner rather than your partner find out some other way, because mm -hmm. now you've added a second offense, which is withholding information you know, lies of omission and all that. Um, I think you need to really sort of like, I don't know, be respectful of their feelings, right? Don't defend yourself. Don't try to minimize it. Don't make excuses. Just let, you know, let them say what they need to say. But part of it also, I think, especially if someone has ADHD and tends to be impulsive is um, 
to make it clear that it was a stupid decision of the moment, not an intent, not forethought, not whatever, you know, because I think it's easier to forgive a transgression of the moment than it is to forgive something that was more planned out. Um, the other thing is, frankly, if you have ADHD and you take stimulant medication, which probably one should, um, you know, little medication on board makes it easier to not be impulsive in the moment. So that might be a thing to consider as well in those two tempting situations. Mm. And and can you speak to the partner of mm-hmm. of the ADHD transgressional mm-hmm. line jumper hopper? I've done that yeah. before. So I, I mean, we're speaking about me. Let's just, I've done this out of impulse. <laughs> I'm a very impulsive person. I've made these mistakes firsthand. So this is this is about me. So what can we tell our partners on how to help? I mean, I think part, you know, I think for the partner is to recognize, like, I don't know, I think there's something about like, don't believe the lies kind of thing of in the sense of if your partner says, oh, honey, you can buy that giant bag of my favorite flavor of Doritos. I definitely won't eat them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you buy the Doritos anyway, you know, like maybe you need to examine why you did that, you know, like, and I'm not casting blame here at all, but so much as to say, you know, for all of us, let's not talk ourselves into bad situations, you know? So I think there needs to be some honest discussion about like, look, I love you and you're awesome and all, but let's all be honest. You tend to be impulsive, right? Like you tend to make decisions and then only afterwards your brain kicks in, your, your conscience kicks in or your better self kicks in. Can we have some conversations about what situations we put ourselves into and maybe whether this is even a good idea in the first place, right? Like, let's not set ourselves up for trouble. So, you know, there needs to be some really, really honest conversation, which includes for the non-ADHD partner, I think, to accept that, like, you know what, there is a possibility if we do this, that my partner is going to impulsively make some problematic choices. Can I deal with that? If they do, what do I do with it? And I know that's easy in theory. It's, mm-hmm. you know, in the heat of the moment, it's harder. But but at least to have that conversation with yourself as well as to have that with your partner. I like that you said to have that conversation with yourself. Those of us that are so impulsive, we, you know, personally, I didn't even realize I was an impulsive person until I just got caught up into a situation. And then it was like, well, shit, now what do I do? Yep. And so being able to own up to your mistakes and being able to say, yep, I did it. However, my brain literally was not thinking. I didn't, I didn't see what had happened until after it had happened. Um, I think it's accepting and giving yourself grace as well. We're all, we are going to mess up. And I think that that's, that those conversations are so important to be had before, during, and after, because it's things change, impulses change. And I'm, I'm, I'm one to say that I'm a highly medicated. Everybody knows I'm medicated because I could not imagine me if I wasn't. But, <laughs> you know, it's what what else, what other measures can we put in place to ensure that we're not trying to in, intentionally or unintentionally hurt our partners? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, having more check-ins, maybe having like, not exactly safe words, but kind of like flag words mm-hmm. of like, honey, this is a thing. You're going to want to like pay attention to what's happening right now. Um, you know, stuff like that, if that's helpful. Um, but to, for both people to really feel like they can be direct and honest, you know, sometimes being indirect, sometimes beating around the bush, like, you know, 
your partner may not pick up on it, right? And then you feel hurt and unheard afterwards. So, you know, I think you need to be able to be really direct in your conversations in order to make that, you know, less risky. Mm. I would like to talk about some of the barriers to satisfying sex and Mm -hmm. how that relates to your research. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that was actually really heartening in the research was that um, in terms of all the 25 barriers I asked about, you know, as I said, too many questions, but among the 25 barriers I asked about, all of them that had anything to do with kind of the quality of the sexual encounter when it happened, most of them were not actually the barrier, right? Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, once things got going, things are actually pretty good. So that's the good news. Um, The remaining barriers really kind of clustered into two groups. One of them was not enough time and energy for sex. The other is not enough good feelings for your partner. So you're pissed at them. They're pissed at you. You know, the worry if if we have sex, that sends a signal everything is okay when it's not, Um, you know, so kind of stuff like that. So in terms of that second group of too many bad feelings, it's just that idea that like, you know, sometimes you got to make the relationship good in order to, you know, feel comfortable making the sexual sexual part good, Mm -hmm. you know, so sometimes working on your sex life happens outside of bed. Um, I think the, the time and energy part is, I mean, for any busy couple, right, time and energy is always going to be a thing. But especially when, if one partner has ADHD that isn't managed well, it tends to make them a bit less efficient at using time and getting things done, which tends to leave their partner, especially if that partner has a vulva, um, take on more of that responsibility, which makes them more tired and resentful. So... Um, you know, so sometimes it's, it's one of those things in order to get into bed a bit earlier, let's say at 10 rather than 11 means not simply that something's either happen at nine differently, but maybe at eight and seven and three and even 9am, right? Like that things have to happen earlier in the day in order to actually be in a position to get into bed a bit earlier. So you've got a bit more of that energy and it's not, you know, where you're bringing the worst part of yourself to this important part of the, of your day in relationship. Time management is such a hard element for, I know myself, especially yep. in a relationship. And between, I mean, well, just in life. Um, what are some of the things that our listeners can do to help with time management and ADHD? I mean, time management is a big, big part of ADHD. Mm. Um, uh, you know, the folks with ADHD tend to underestimate how long things take. They tend to get distracted onto other things. Um, so then they don't get the main thing done. They tend to procrastinate because it's hard to make yourself do the thing you don't want to do until the pressure of the deadline forces you. So, you know, time management is definitely a big, big part of ADHD. And frankly, when we're busy, it's a part of all of our lives. But, um, you know, buddy, I think a big thing for couples specifically is to really try to work well together on it and to have it not be a situation where the non-ADHD partner is the timekeeper and the nagger Mm -hmm. who tries to keep the person with ADHD in line because nobody wants either side of that relationship uh, or that dynamic. Um, You know, but rather that it's a thing that, that you're working together so that there's lots of good communication 
maybe you meet up on Sunday morning. So like, let's go through the calendar for the week, especially if you got kids running in three different directions with all sorts of activities and right. Like let's sort of just look at the calendars ahead of time. I think shared calendars, if you can do it, um, are great because then you just put stuff in the calendar. You don't have to remember to tell your spouse, Um, you know, and then, and then just sort of like a general goodwill of, Oh, you didn't tell me, you know, one of our kids at a dentist appointment. Okay, that's fine. All right, that, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, no problem, right? So like being a good teammate, you know, mm-hmm. like being willing to just sort of take one for the team and just really being mindful of the balance and fairness of it. Yeah. I have a lot of couples who are, they get very angry because they don't have, or I shouldn't say angry, they're frustrated because they don't have time in their yeah. schedule for sex, something always comes up. Mm-hmm. And so when we start talking about scheduling sex and their time into their calendar, then some of them have a problem with that. When it comes to ADHD and making time for sex with a full schedule. Sure. You're the expert because I'm trying to figure this shit out. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is, I mean, so yeah, like this is a, this is a, the universal, right? I think for all busy couples, it, and especially if you have kids in the house, um, you know, like legitimately, there are not a lot of windows mm-hmm. of opportunity, you know. So on the one hand, see what you can do to create some, maybe. Um, but I think the rest of it is to really kind of like hold that time sacred. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is that line of like, you know, your priorities are not what you say. They're what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. If you say your sex life is important, but then every other fucking thing gets in the way first. It's not important, right? It isn't, right? Like, sorry, Twitter seems to be more important to you than your sex life, right? Because based on your actions, that seems to be where your time goes, right? So so I think that it's easy, especially at the end of a long day, to just kind of take that path of least resistance or just kind of passively glide into bedtime and then we're all too tired or one of us is and then, you know, know, it's time to go to sleep. So, um, So really kind of being mindful of making it important holding the time sacred as best you can. And I don't know, um, Ian Kerner talks about windows of willingness rather than scheduled dates. Like, you know, so window of willingness, meaning, okay, on Thursday night, we're going to get the kids into bed a little bit earlier and we're going to be willing to see what happens. I like that. Let's just remind everyone that this is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are Stephanie and Fox, sitting in for Carol and David today. We are having an amazing discussion with author and psychologist Dr. Ari Tuckman. But now, let us tell you a little bit about who we are and what we do. Ladies, are you ready to take your intimacy to the next level? Head over to our website to find out about relationship, intimacy, and sex counseling. And gentlemen, are you needing a little bit more? Join us at stephanieandfox.com to learn tips on how to communicate with that special someone and ignite that flame. Now, let's get back to the show. So, Doctor, before our break, you were telling us about the windows of willingness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it gives you an out, but it also means, like, we're going to make that time for us and we're going to see what happens. And the important thing is that we enjoy it. We're not talking about like, you know, missing homework. We're not talking about, you know, I think there's a leak in the living room roof over there, right? So you're not doing stressful, boring business topics. It's about enjoying each other. And, you know, especially some people, you know, who are a bit more responsive in their desire, like they need a bit more of that warm up. Um, 
And if one partner is, let's say, a little bit more right at it, um, they may need a bit of work on being patient, on slowing down, on staying engaged in other ways to bring their more responsive partner along. Mm. Mm. Say that again. Say it even louder for the people in the back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, because if you're too kind of like pushy about it, you're going to turn your partner off rather than turn them on. Mm -hmm. Um and that's not like nobody wants that, right? Nobody feels good after that. So, um, so yeah, like finding the ways, you know, to really kind of talk about like, here's what I need from you. This is what will get the best out of me in that moment. What will get the best out of you, right? And really being very clear and giving reminders in a nice way. And when your partner forgets and does the other thing that annoys you, right? Rather than being like, ah, I told you, this is why we can't bother, right? This is why like the negative response is just, nicely but firmly kind of redirect they're like oh wait a second this is what we talked about remember if uh blah 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 that turns me off so could you do this instead mm. so this this kind of ties into the rejection sensitivity dysphoria that mm -hmm. plays right along with adhd and for those listening those with adhd have a higher tendency of having some sort of rejection sensitivity not everybody but there's a higher chance of it and then there's those who have rejection sensitivity who not who are not ADHD. Just to say all of that, but I have rejection sensitivity dysphoria and I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And when my partner, I'm I'm turned on, and my partner tells me no, when Fox is like, I'm too tired, that just I feel like my whole world melts because oh, I've been rejected. He doesn't right. love me. I'm fat. I'm ugly, and. It just this whirlwind of all of these emotions because my emotions override my logic every day of the week. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one that this happens to. <laughs> this has right. to be a universal thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it definitely is. So, you know, I think part of it, and especially if you, I don't know if this is true, but if you tend to be the one who does more of the initiating and perhaps therefore also become the one who gets shot down more often, but um, but even if it's only once in a while, it still doesn't feel good to get shot yeah. down. But but there are better and there are worse ways to say thanks, but no thanks. You know, so are there some ways that you can coach him on how to how to do it so you still feel okay? Um, you know, so that's part of it. Um, I think that you know that rejection sensitivity. You know, like it is definitely a, a part of ADHD for some people, mm -hmm. and I think. Some of it is kind of neurological in the sense of having that, I kind of think of it as like emotional impulsivity, right? Everyone will feel a little bit rejected. Some people, the rejection will really kind of run away with that, mm -hmm. right? So if you had that feeling more strongly because of that ADHD, emotional impulsivity, it's really going to be a big thing. Um, I think some of it's also kind of psychological, right? Like folks with ADHD, get kids with ADHD get more corrections and more criticism than kids without. You know, and especially if you're an adult who spent most of your life undiagnosed and therefore untreated, at least effectively, right? You've had many, many more of those experiences. So it's easy to be like, oh, here's another one. Yeah. Um, you know, so it draws from that deep well of other experiences beyond the present moment. Um, so, you know, really understanding that I think is helpful. So it's, I'm not crazy. It's just this RSD thing. Mm. Um, Stimulant medication is not necessarily, it might be helpful, but not necessarily. But weirdly, um, there's a couple of blood pressure medications, old blood pressure medications called guanfacine and clonidine 
that seem to have some benefit for RSD. So, yeah. I'm going to manage mine with, uh, you know, all of my mental health techniques that I teach others and my healthy coping skills that I'm so fluent at. I'm human. I'm just going to struggle through this shit. (laughs) Yeah. But I think also, I mean, definitely all that stuff. Yes. But, you know, I think there's also something about like, and this is easy to say, but not, I don't know, like just taking good care of yourself in general, right? Mm -hmm. If you're stressed out, if you're exhausted, if you're frazzled, if, you know, you feel like, you know, you and Fox haven't spent enough time together, so you're feeling a little neglected in a broader sense, right? Like all that stuff sets a stage, right? So it's not about just the moment. It's about everything that preceded it. So, you know, those other things are pretty good points of intervention. They're not easy Mm -hmm. to do, but they are good ones. Yeah, there's lots of uh, good nuggets of knowledge in there for all listeners, especially me. Yeah. I'm going to play this back for Fox over and over and over on repeat and <laughs> just see what he says. Right. You're just going to edit it specifically oh, down yes. to like... Just for him. Tell, tell me all the things he does wrong and I'll tell him to do them <laughs> differently. Problem solved problem is he has ADHD too. So this applies to me. It's just, I know we can't get enough. So hookups and affairs with Mm -hmm. those with ADHD and that impulsivity and, you know, those with open relationships, I want to warn you can have infidelity and open relationships. You, as long as you're violating any kind of fidelity agreement, that is an infidelity. And the more impulsive you are, Sometimes that leads to uh-ohs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. So in the research, um, I asked two questions about infidelity. One was um, physical hookups without any emotional entanglement. So in other words, think like drunken hookup at the Mm -hmm. bar. Um, And then I also asked the second question, which was, you know, more emotional affairs that may or may not involve the physical component. And, you know, I think the problem is like we we use the word cheating or infidelity as if it's like one thing, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it's like a million things. And what is infidelity to one person is not at all infidelity to another. Um, So, you know, so it's a very broad topic that needs to be defined by each of the people in the relationship. But, but I do think that a drunken hookup happens very differently than an emotional affair mm-hmm. in terms of how it comes to be and also how the other partner might feel about it, right? Like one might have different feelings about a drunken hookup than they do about an ongoing affair, even if it's long distance with no physical contact, right? So, um, and, you know, what I found was that um, folks with ADHD were more likely to engage in both of them. Um, I think kind of rather cliched, but men with ADHD were more likely to engage in, you know, physical hookups. Women with ADHD were more likely to engage in um, emotional affairs. Mm. So um, I kind of wish that wasn't true because it follows the, you know, standard narrative, but whatever. So, um, but, you know, I suppose the good news is both people, both genders did both. I guess that's good news. That's progress. Yeah. Um, So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, and I think there's a lot of reasons why people 
engage in in sort of various infidelities. I think there's different ways in terms of how they respond to it, but um, but I mean they are a serious thing, right? Mm-hmm. And depending on exactly what happened, like they really can have a tremendous effect on not only the relationship but also both of the individuals separately. It's survivable. Infidelity is survivable. We can come back from it. You can restore normalcy. I think that the most important thing is you have to find those nuggets and learn from it. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's it's not easy, but it's definitely something that can be survivable. I mean, it's definitely wisdom painfully earned. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I sort of tell people like, look, if you have to suffer, you might as well learn something from it. So, you know, somebody had some sort of infidelity. You both feel like total shit about it. You're suffering like crazy. You might as well get some benefit. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just awful. Right. Yeah. So, um so I don't know. I mean, there are times when some sort of an infidelity kind of reveals something about the relationship or one or both partners that is now on the table and can't be ignored. Now we need to address this. Um, and not this sort of like, oh, you're a sex addict. You have to go to a sex addiction treatment program and, you know, talk about Jesus or something. So, um, you know, like there's lots of reasons why people have infidelities and sexual addiction is not necessarily the reason. So. That's a whole nother topic, sexual addiction oh, yeah. or lack thereof. Lack but, thereof. Yeah. yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. Yep. So as we start to wrap up and we know that negotiation is key, communication is key, especially when we're having alternative relationships, relationships in general, sex in general. Mm-hmm. What happens when it all breaks down? How do we, how do we overcome that? And, and I want you to speak to like the difficult conversations and negotiations that we have to have for various things in those conversations. Yeah. And, and that's definitely, you know, like that is the cost of admission. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be in a serious relationship, just standard serious relationship, right. And even more so if you're going to have a more complicated relationship, whatever that means, um, you will have hard conversations, right. And that, um, you know, I used to, I have a line that it used to be, you know, there's nowhere to hide um, in a long-term relationship, right? Because your issues will come out. Yeah. And I've actually sort of amended it, which is there's nowhere to hide except behind your partner's issues, mm. right? So sometimes the work in making a relationship better, if you want your partner to deal with your with their shit, you might have to first deal with yours. Like, in other words, take away the easy targets, Right. Like, of course, I'm angry all the time. You leave shit all over the place. How else could I respond to this? Like, well, there's many ways you could respond differently, but I'm taking that easy target away and I'm going to start putting a few more things away. And then when you continue to be an asshole because there's other stuff of yours you haven't worked on, then we're going to have some really interesting conversations about that. But we can't get there until I take my stuff off the table first. So, um But, you know, at the same time, you know, I'm a firm believer in the idea that, you know, a good relationship pushes you to become a better person. And it's only a relationship that will do that. Friends won't. Acquaintances certainly won't. Right. Like nobody's going to challenge your issues like your romantic partner because they're the one who's got the most at stake. That is. I think you need to, like, coin that and put that on a shirt. That needs to be heard worldwide that is uh 
I think the most prolific thing I've heard today, honestly. So thank you for oh, that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't thank you enough, Ari, um, for coming on and just sharing some of your knowledge. Guys, tell our listeners where they can find you and find out more about you. Yeah. So best place to find me is adultadhdbook.com. And I've got a bunch of, um, so I've got four books on ADHD, including the one on ADHD relationships and sex. Um, but I've got like sample chapters. I've got a bunch of recordings. Um, at some point I'll update where I'm presenting. Um, now it's just old stuff, but and at some point I'll actually travel somewhere to present again, but, right. um, but I've got a bunch of information on my website. So that's really the best place to find me. And so say that website one more time. AdultADHDbook.com. Awesome. And that will also be in our show links as well. What is your parting wisdom for the listeners? I think my parting wisdom is whether it's ADHD or anything, keep working at it, right? Keep working as a team, work on your stuff and, you know, kind of see these challenges, not as things that annoy you and beat you down, but hopefully as things that... I don't know, that you sort of work to rise above and benefit from. Mm, absolutely. I second everything that you've said. You've got the Stephanie stamp of approval. Almost, doctor. <laughs> almost. It's going to happen. Um, nice. Which you absolutely don't need that. You are everywhere. And I just, again, thank you for taking the time to stop by and talk to us tonight. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for yeah. having me. I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, hopefully we can do this again. I know. All right, friends, tune in again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and, of course, pleasure. Oh, and all the fun ways that you can spice up your sex life. Well, that's it for our show today. On behalf of Carol and David, we are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sending you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe, and, of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 